live from Utrecht. This is Bitcoin Explained. Hey, Shors. Hello. We're back, and today we're going to talk about multisig and cool. music. Music? Uh, that pun is too easy even for our show, Shors. Okay. But first of all, you want we gave you your special part of the show. I'll give you the... <laughs> Are you oh, going to do the song again? Of course. Shores stacks sets. Shores stacks sets. Shores stacks sets. And uh, of course, our editor will run it through the autotune so that it sounds cool. Yeah, so we've got one from Slim Shady. And he sends us 101 sets for the tune. And another one... Uh, I'm not even getting the money. You're not. And from Vake, 6,000 sets. Learning a lot from each episode. So... That's All good. Right. Glad to hear that. And congratulations on the money, Shors. Ready for the rest of the episode? Yes. Okay, so we're going to discuss multisig, which is, of course, a topic we've mentioned probably many times by now, but we've never done a full episode on multisig. So that's what we're doing today. And we're going to discuss sort of how multisig has evolved over the years. So the different ways of doing multisig, all of which are still possible, I guess, right? Where we don't, you know, we don't remove options from Bitcoin. So every option that we're going to discuss is actually available today. Well, some of them are not, but we'll get to those. I guess at the very end, we're going to discuss some future potential ways to do multisig. Is that what you're referring to or not? No, I was referring to some early bugs. Oh, okay. I guess I'll hear about that in a minute then. As will you, our dear listener. Yeah, and we're also not going to talk about the combination of multisig and time locks and all these kind of things you can do. We're going to talk about pretty much the opcode op multisig and its successor in Taproot. Yeah, there are some tie-ins with our previous episode. That's also where we got the idea to do this episode because in our previous episode on P2SH, we kind of touched on some of this stuff. I don't think the previous episode is required listening for this episode, but it might help. Right, Shores? Yeah, it's not. Yeah. Okay. So, first of all, let's let's start at the beginning. As always, in, in very general terms, w what is multisig? It, do, do you even want to... Yeah, yeah, the go, idea go is that you can, you can create a transaction that can be signed using not just one key, but either multiple keys or one out of keys. So... You might say, okay, there's three possible keys that I can sign with, three of my different hardware wallet devices, and I only need to have provide two of them or one of them or three of them. That's yeah. what multisig does. Yeah. I think in technical terms, usually you're the one using the technical terms and then I try to dumb it down. But in technical terms, it's M of M or M of N. Am I saying that's right? Yeah, M of N. Or N of N, right? That's also... So N of N would be... I mean, M of N means that uh, N of M... N of N <laughs> means yeah. that M is equal to N. But yes, we then you would call it N of N. Anyways, it means you can have a number of potential keys to sign with and then another equal or smaller number of these keys. We're making yes, this and more the, confusing. And the cryptographers who try to explain this stuff like to write things down so they don't care that the word M is pronounced almost the same as N. Right. <laughs> okay, well, I think everyone knows what modstick is anyways. So we don't have to really get into that. Yeah. Well, okay, one more thing. Why would people want to use this? Do you want to give some examples of that? Yeah, I mean, the initial use case was, a thought of use case was escrow. So the idea would be that you would send money to a third party, but then there would be an escrow agent in the, in the middle who would hold the money for you. And the idea is that this escrow person or company would have one key and you, the sender, has one key and me, the recipient, has another key. And then you need two out of three. So I send it to the escrow. And then if we both agree, we both sign and it goes away from the escrow. The escrow agent is not necessary. If we disagree, then the escrow agent will either, you know, will provide a signature either to send it back or to send it forward. Yeah. Or another way to use this is something we've discussed in a previous episode about smart contracts maybe i think where we could we, we can sort of construct proto smart contracts using this where we for example bet on i think the example we used was the winner of the world cup and then we have a neutral party and we all the, the three of us have a key 
you and I bet. Yeah, that was in the episode about discrete log contracts. So you can do fairly, uh, you can do lightning, obviously, that also uses multi-sig. So. But the initial use case, I think, was escrow, because that's sort of what people were talking about in the in the comments on GitHub. And even in the source code, it was kind of referring to escrow. But obviously, you can do more with it. Yeah. Well, another very basic example is, for example, you split your own funds across multiple keys, right? So you send your own funds, you you store, you save your money, your Bitcoin in a multi-sig address of your own. And you, for example, have three keys and you keep these three keys on three different machines. Could be three hardware wallets, for example, and you store these hardware wallets in different locations. That way a hacker would have to steal two of your free hardware wallets in order to even have a chance to get your funds. Yeah. For example, that that's an, or another example would be I'll, after this example, we'll move on. But another other example would be three people want to, or two or whatever number, of course, they want to just store funds collectively. And only if some subset of them agree to spend the funds, they can do it. So for example, a board of a company that consists of, you know, three board members, and they agree that two of them will have to sign off to spend money, then they can set up a two of three multi-sig address. So that would be another example. And there's plenty of other examples, but we won't bore you anymore with that. We'll get to the meat of the episode. So sure, multi-sig. Multi-sig has been in Bitcoin since the very beginning, I think, right? Yeah, Satoshi, I, th- I, th- I thought you were going to make a pun about raw meat, but... Feel free to make it. What's the pun? Well, the, the, ori- the original it. version is called raw multi-sig. Or actually, uh, it's called bare multi-sig. There, there's some potential for a pun then. I think I wrote it down incorrectly. You're right. Let's get to the raw meat, raw multi-sig of the episode, Shors. So it's yeah, been so, in so Bitcoin since the very beginning. Satoshi implemented multi-sig. Yeah, so right? from the beginning, there was an opcode. So that's one of the commands that you can put in a script. And it was just called opmultisig. And it's sister opcheckmultisig. And this was... Well, the, the idea was that this you would put as the recipient, you would provide the script saying opmultisig. And then you would also provide two or three or whatever keys. And you would specify the threshold. So you would say two. And then you would list three keys that would mean you need two out of three signatures to satisfy the script. Right. And this was, there was no address format for this to be able to communicate this. So we talked about that with P2SH because you, the sender, will have to put that script on the blockchain. So that means if you wanted to do a 20 out of 20 multisig, the sender would have to make a very long transaction and pay the fees for your complicated setup. Yeah, that was one of the problems, right? So I'm the one, I want to receive the coins in a specific way but now you yours who are sending the money to me you have to pay for that rather yep. than me having to pay for it. that was one of the exact problems with the original multi-sig yeah um, so and and that and the fact that there's no standard address format for it although that of course that could be invented now the the more interesting part is that originally this had no limit so you could at least from a consensus point of view i don't know about standardness so standardness is what nodes will relay to each other and what miners will mine by default. But consensus means that even, you know, if it's in a block, you, you're going to check by less strict rules. And there was no limit on the size of a multisig, as far as I know, in the consensus rules. And this is a problem because verifying signatures... So is- hang on, you could make a 6,382 out of 18,723 multisig? As far as I know, yes. There may have been a limit on the size of the transaction itself, but that's it. Yeah. That's pretty good. So that was pretty what's cool. The, what's the problem? This sounds great. Yeah. The problem is the way the script is evaluated, the way the blockchain basically checks the validity of the script. And roughly this works as follows. You take the pile of public keys and then the person who spends it will have to provide one or a whole pile of signatures. Now they have to be in the correct sequence. So it's not a random order. That would have been even worse. But they have to be in the right sequence, but there could be gaps, right? So in the simple example of one out of three, I'm providing one signature and there are three public keys. Now, um, what the script does is it will look at the signature and it will it will look at the first key. It will see if the signature is correct for that first key. If not, it will look at the second key and will check if the signature is correct for the second key. And then if not, it will try the third key. And if you have two out of three, it's a little bit more efficient. So it will it will look at the first, if you have two signatures out of three, 
it will look at the first signature using the algorithm I just described. And then if it finds a match, it tosses that signature and that public key, and then it moves on to the next one. So they do have to be in the correct order because otherwise it won't find it, but it's still pretty slow because if you have a one out of a million multisig, then you're going to try a million public keys before you find it. So well, you, well, only if it's the very last one, right? You yes, might get lucky, exactly. it might be the first one. Yeah, but if you're trying to attack Bitcoin, you make sure that Bitcoin does not get lucky. <laughs> right. And if it's the 6,852 out of 18,731, I guess the math gets very complicated, but the bottom line is it will take your computer a long time to verify this. Yeah. It, it will just take a long time because it has to check for every key that's in there whether the signature matches and then go on to the next one, one yeah, by so one. So there's a little bit of so a be acceleration a of in there that it doesn't like you can't, you can't, I think you cannot provide them in any order. That would be really bad. Yeah. But still, but it's still pretty bad. Yeah. So it was bad enough that Satoshi decided very quickly in 2010 to in September, 2010 to add a limit to say you can only have 20 as in 20 pub keys. Okay. So it can be a one out of 20 or a 20 out of 20, according to that. Yes. I guess that was a soft fork then. Yes, it was. That was one of the first soft forks. And it was a, so that was a consensus rule implemented by Bitcoin, uh, by Satoshi in Bitcoin to limit the size of multi-six. Yeah, he did okay. really two things, but this was in version 0.3.13 for those who want to look it up. When was this? Did you mention this? September 2010. Right. So it was released in October 2010. So around the time of the one megabyte limit to... Right, And this was introduced in his usual style. So the commit, so the change that was made, which is called something like clean up various stuff. And, uh, and in it would be that critical change. Because if people saw what the change was, they would try and attack Bitcoin using it. Right. That, that, you, you say that's his usual way. That was Satoshi's usual way of implementing, At least of changing the Bitcoin protocol, yeah, essentially. He would, he would basically say, well, from this block height, here are the new rules. And that would be in the code. But if you didn't check the code, you wouldn't know that the new rules came out there because he wouldn't announce it. Or he might later announce it or other people would figure it out later. Right. So he probably did this because he figured out that the unlimited multisig ping was a problem for the reason you just mentioned. Yep. But he never actually explained that. He just hid it in the code somewhere. He, he may have. I didn't check if he did, but he okay. usually didn't. Right. Or he sometimes didn't. So the other limit he also introduced is a per block limit. And the idea there would be that there's a limited number of these multisigs that you can have in a, in a in a given block. This is called the ops limit, and that's still there, though it's changed a bit. Wait, so what does that? So what's the limit, first of all? I guess the limit was at the time you could have one thousand multisig transactions in a single block. Okay, so no matter how big they were, because initially you would get twenty points essentially for each multisig transaction in a block. And so, and the limit was 20,000 for the whole block. So if you had 20 multi, 1,000 multi-sig transactions, no matter how small they were, you would, that was the max you were allowed to put in a block. And regular transactions counted as a score of one. So, so a single-sig transaction would give you one point. So you could have 20,000 single-sig transactions in a block or 1,000 multi-sig transactions or some combination. So what happens if there's 1,000 multi-sig transactions in, waiting in a mempool, say, and now you want to send me a multi-sig transaction, you're just out of luck? No, the mempool can have as many as you want. Yeah, but it's but not going to be included in the block. No, it'll go into the next block. Right. So there's... So miners have to be careful when they create a block that they don't violate this rule, but, you know, as long as you do that correctly. So, now, so maybe this is getting into the weeds, but how, would this work based on fee markets as well, or...? No, this is one of the... Like, like which which transaction gets priority, I mean, if there's 1,001? Well, so a rational miner would have to do some complicated math to figure out whether he'd want the multisig in there or not. He, you, so that's just, you know, at the time there was no fee market, so yeah. that helped. And also, if you looked at the original mining code, so at the mining code, the standard mining code as it existed at the time was very conservative. I think it would only put in maybe 20 of them like some some really small number. Oh, because really? there were almost no multi-sig transactions anyway. Right. Of course, any miner um, could so could, could do it differently, but he was pretty much the only miner, probably. So. Yeah, just to be clear, because we're talking about this kind of in the past tense, but does this limit still exist in Bitcoin? I know we do other ways yeah. of doing multi-sig now, but just this lim does this technical limit still exist? Yes, but and we'll get to that in P2SH. The limit is slightly more intelligent. 
Okay. But for this bare multisig, so multisig without P2SH, and for P2SH multisig, this limit exists. Today. Yes, but not for Taproot. Right. Interesting. I, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, so I don't know how that plays into the fee market. If there's too many multisig transactions, candidates, yeah, I guess then as a miner, you'd have to do the math. What what makes more sense to include the transaction with the higher fee, but it has a multisig, are you going to kick out some some other transaction? Or are you going to say, well, I'd rather have the single sig transactions than the multisig transactions because, you know, how the fees work out because you get a limit. Okay, so we're going to talk about other ways of doing multisig, but my curiosity is triggered now. So, spoiler alert, we're also going to talk about P2SH multisig, SegWit multisig, Taproot multisig, and music. Which of these types of multisig are relevant in context of this limit? Is it only bare multisig or are other... All of them except Taproot. Really? So, SegWit multisig is also affected by this limit? Yes. From 2010. And that's one of the reasons for the change in Taproot, because this limit is annoying for all sorts of okay, reasons. Okay, I, I guess we'll get there. I, we're yeah. skipping ahead now, but this will... So, uh... so there's also the standardness rules, right? So as far as I can tell, when he introduced his limit, the standardness rule was two out of two. So you could have a, a one out of two or a two out of two multisig. And then uh, several years later, or actually one year later, in December 2011, I think Gavin Anderson raised the limit to three. So you could have a... Two out of three or three out of three. Right. And, okay. So the and consensus... we know that because that limit led to the opportune wars that we did another episode on. Yeah. Okay. So the limit was brought back. The consensus rule was made 20 by Satoshi in 2010. And then the standardness rule was made two. Yeah. Okay. And then three later by Kevin Andreessen. Okay. So that's raw multisig. Right? Yep. We've, we've now explained what raw multisig is. Yes. Or bare multisig, I think, is the correct term, but it doesn't really matter. Okay. Then, and this is what we discussed last week as well. Regardless, we'll go over it. Then the next type of multisig in Bitcoin was pay to script hash. P2SH. Multisig. Mm-hmm. So how did it evolve from bare multisig? Yeah, so the difference is, again, the recipient now pays for the fees because the recipient gives provides a hash of the script, and inside that script can be some sort of multisig construction, but the, the sender doesn't have to care. The hash of the script is always the same size. So when you pay detection fee for the outputs, that's always going to be the same. It also makes addresses easy. Well, that's what we explained in the last episode. It also gives you a little bit better privacy because you can't see what the script is until you try to spend it. Now, there is a new limit which is 15 at the consensus level. I, I didn't check what the standardness was. Maybe the standardness was also 15. Wait, Maybe. so the limit was decreased? Well, the consensus limit was decreased from 20 to 15, mm-hmm. and the standardness limit, I think, was increased, either immediately or later on, to 15. Right, so the consensus limit and the standardness limit were made the same at that yeah. point. and the but consensus were- limit is accidental, because there is a limit of 20 that's still there, but you never reach that limit because the script can only be 512 bytes in P2SH. And if you divide 512 bytes by the number of bytes that one public key requires, you end up with 15. Okay, this is getting complicated, but I I do think I'm following you. Yeah, so basically this... means you cannot spend a multisig with more than 15 keys in it. Yeah, but not because that's a specific rule concerning multisig but a more general rule concerning scripts yes and that just happens to the math just happens to end up at 15 in that case yeah because in order to spend a multisig transaction you the recipient have to specify which keys are involved all of them not just the ones you're using and so that's 15 so if because at first it's sent to a hash, right? So then the script. Yeah, we're talking and then about you reveal the, the actual script. Yeah. So the, the script. Yeah, and the script contains the all the public keys. So what if? So if there's a sixteen out of sixteen multisig, let's say, it just means it can't be spent. Yep, you can't reveal it. Hmm. If you try to reveal the script, it's invalid because it's too long. Hmm. And so right. the, ha- the what, hash. The hash wasn't this an incompatibility, like a backwards? Imp- compatibility issue at the time yeah the limit of 512 is a backwards compatibility issue because the 
I think the size of stuff that can be on the stack, so the size of each element on the stack is 512 bytes. And the old nodes, what they would see if you were using P2SH, they would see something on the stack and they would hash it. So that something on the stack has to be 512 bytes. Now the new nodes don't interpret it that way anymore, but you have to be backwards compatible, hence the 512 limit, yeah. So if you want to lose your coins, that's one way to do it. Yo, what is going on, guys? We are proud to have Voltage as a sponsor of this episode. How many of you developers out there have wanted a streamlined infrastructure provider for your particular project? Well, I'll tell you what. Voltage is the Bitcoin infrastructure provider you have been looking for that makes building on Bitcoin quick and easy, whether it's Bitcoin nodes, Lightning nodes, BTC pay, and so much more. But don't take it from me. Just ask the guys over at Amboss, Sphinx, Podcast Index, and Thunder Games, and so many others that you guys already know and love. Their enterprise-grade products make it fast and easy to build, deploy, and scale your next project. So make it easy on yourself. Even normie plebs can use the dashboard or API. Don't wait before the next block confirmation. Let your team focus on building great products and let Voltage handle all the rest. Voltage is your go-to zero-management Bitcoin infrastructure solution. Right. Okay. Anything else? We discussed this last week, so yeah, we so probably there... don't want to get into too much in rehashing mode. But what else is new with P2SH? Is there anything else we need to know about that? Yeah. So one other thing is that, like we said, this SIGOPS limit that we talked about, it used to be that you just get 20 points for any multisig, no matter how big it was. So that's kind of annoying because if you're making a small multisig, you you know you're you're not paying, but you're using up a limit in the block that's quite high. And now it was changed to the actual number of public keys. So if you do a two out of three multisig, you get three sig ops. Right. Again, this sounds to or, me... Or two. I forgot if it's the limit is the number of public keys or the number of signatures, but... I, I'm just wondering out loud here, but when this was changed at the time, would again, wouldn't that lead to backwards incompatibility no, issues where different nodes are making different calculations? On no, what because this new limit, this new way of counting only applies to the P2SH scripts. So the multisigs right. that you were using bare script for, they would still count as 20, but if you were using P2SH, it's, it's essentially a discount for P2SH. Hmm. Not so much a discount in fees, but a discount in how many of these things you can put in a single block. Again, it didn't matter in practice because blocks were not anywhere near full. Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I think that, that makes sense. Okay, so... But other than that, this worked exactly the same. So as soon as you've unwrapped the P2SH thing, you have an object multisig and it works exactly the same way as it used in the, in the old consensus code. It is the same code that is checking it. The same lines of code. Yeah, the same, the same opcode. Yep, it's the same piece of C++ code that is just used in both situations. Right. <clears throat> okay, so that's that was bare mode sick and that was P2SH as well. Mm -hmm. Now we move to SegWit. So SegWit also changed things about how multisig works. Yeah, well, one thing that SegWit changes is SegWit also had a its own P2SH, essentially, wrapped P2SH or pay to SegWit script hash. And this hash could be the script that could be as big as you want. I think there's no limit, or at least the limit is large enough for this purpose, which means now the limit is actually 20. So the original limit of 20 that's in the consensus code is now actually relevant for SegWit. So oh, it yeah, wasn't yeah. that SegWit okay, so decided what... to make it 20. It's just that they removed the 512 limit on the script size. Right. Yeah, we, that's what, what we just discussed. So there wasn't an actual explicit limit on multisig but there was a practical limit because there was a more general script limit and this more general script limit was removed in the case of segwit and therefore we went back to the original satoshi imposed multisig limit sneaky, consensus limit is yeah, that right Am the super I sneaky right? soft work that he introduced yep okay right so then because of segwit we went back to 20 and then yes I and also the limit per block so that we talked about the SIGOPS limit per block, SegWit also multiplied that by four. So if you wanted to use multisig and you did it inside of SegWit, it would be cheaper. You you would be able to put more of them in a block. 
okay where now now i'm getting lost again so where is this limit does this question even make sense yeah the sigops limit is per block so there is a counter that says the number of sigops mm -hmm. and every time it sees a normal signature it says okay one it sees another normal signature but, now it's, but two. it's all in the witness right doesn't matter where the signature is this but this counter is different for where it is so before segwit there was one counter and if it saw a single sig it would give you one point if it saw a multi-sig it would give you n points depending on what n was yeah except if it was a raw uh, multi-sig then it would give you 20 points yeah now the new rule is that every all of these examples from before would get four points so every that was multiplied by four but if it was in segwit it would only get one point yeah that's the weight limit essentially what we're talking about it's right? the same it's the is same it, trick yeah. as with the weight limit but it's not the same thing it's a different counter but it gets the same discount as everything else at segwit i see Okay, so once again, we're talking about sp a specific limit on, well, and, not, and not, I, I don't not know what the there's reason. a point system. Yeah, the point okay. system the, was... The, point, the, the thing is, we're not talking about the block size limit itself. We're talking about another type of limit for the types of transactions that can be put in blocks and that the, that the different transactions can score different points. Yeah, and, and for some reason that was also multiplied by four. I don't, don't know what the reason is because as far as I know, the, the, the problems with this inefficient evaluation is still there. Yeah, well, the, the, my mind is going to why wouldn't that be backwards incompatible? But I guess the reason is because it is in the witness so you can just do whatever at that point. It doesn't have to be backwards compatible because all the nodes don't see the witness, right? Exactly, yeah. Okay. Okay. All the notes are only looking at the the all the transactions, and because that score is multiplied by four, it, it is effectively the same thing. Well, they're also looking at new transactions, just not the witness part. Yeah. So they're they're seeing all these new transactions, and they don't see the script of those new transactions. They just ignore them. Yeah. So they don't count the number of signatures in it. Right. Okay. Yeah. So there was still a limit when SegWit was imposed, which was four times what used to be the limit. Wait. Per, so per wait, the number wait, of basically well, the number of signatures per block was implied. Per block, right? Four. And I, I guess and, that and makes sense. To remind me and our listeners, maybe if they have the same type of memory as I do, what was the original limit? What, what Twenty thousand, and so it became eighty thousand. Oh yeah, but that was a thousand, right? Because it was twenty points per. Well, only if you well, had these 20 out of 20 mils. So in practice, the limit before SegNet was about 1,000 multi-sig transactions per block if they were using the full size. A bit more because the full size was 16. Right. And with SegNet, SegWit, the, you could do more. Basically four times as many. Mm, okay, sure. Is there a nice... like where? But I'm not aware of a single block that was produced that was violating that limit. And I don't know if that's because miners are brilliant or just because there's not that many multi-sig transactions and nobody hit the limit. Or because the miners use Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin Core makes sure you don't make that mistake. Real quick, if people want to look up what all these limits are, especially the current limits, I guess, is there a nice website for this or something? Where are you finding this? <laughs> the Bitcoin Core <laughs> source code. Oh, God. Mostly. Well, I guess, like you said, wallets are taking care of it. Sometimes. Hopefully. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's SegWiz. I think we've discussed how SegWiz changed multisig from p2sh right yeah and so it's a very small change okay then there was another update to how multisig works when taproot was introduced right Ta -da. yes okay so what what changed with taproot well taproot got rid of the well taproot got rid of the op multisig opcode the specific opcode because of this this weirdness that you just throw a bucket of signatures and public keys and you don't tell which public key corresponds to which signature, that weirdness is all gone. So basically the reason that we even have limits on this kind of stuff. Yeah, and it was replaced with something a little simpler called opcheksig add. And what opcheksig add does is it basically checks the signature and then it adds the number one to the stack. And so it's essentially a counter so what you do is you you say, okay, you call this opcheksig add 10 times. And so if, if, if that gives you 10 valid signatures, then the number on the counter is going to be 10. And then at the end of the script, you say, okay, is the number more than five? And then you've created a five out of 10 multisig. So you don't create one line that says this is a multisig. You just, it implicitly is a multisig by using this opcode in, in this intelligent way. Okay. 
what does that mean why is this better so this is well it's yeah. better because when you call this this objectsig add when you as the spender when you're spending it you don't just give it a pile of signatures you actually have to specifically say for each public key which signature you're giving and the way you do that is by if if you don't have a specific public key because let's say you have only one out of the three keys then when you don't see your key you just give it an empty signature and then when you do see your key, your key, you give it a real signature. And this makes the evaluation of the script a lot easier because now the rule is every signature is either valid or it's empty. And this also means in the future we can aggregate signatures. So we can we can basically evaluate the script and just say, okay, every time we see object sick add with a signature, we just kind of assume that it's correct. And then at the end of the block, we take all the public keys and all the signatures and evaluate them in one go with this key aggregation tricks, which would okay, make block me, evaluation let me, faster. Let me try to make this very sort of practical, see if this is kind of a translation of what you just said. So if I have a 12 out of 15 multisig and I'm spending it, and there, at this point there's 15 pub keys, mm -hmm. and I'm saying these are signatures, numbers, one, two, three, six, eight, etc. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and so now you know exactly the rest of the network, all nodes know exactly where to look uh, and check it. Yeah, that's, whereas in the original one, you would just give 12 signatures and the network would have to figure out which figure signature out belongs themselves. to which key. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. That sounds like a sort of very obvious improvement. That makes me wonder why wasn't this already the case? Was it just originally kind of sloppy implementation by satoshi or well i think how the, should we think about this i'm not entirely sure but one of the things is that because taproot also introduced schnorr the and these signatures are schnorr they're not ecdsa if i remember correctly they are easier to aggregate in general so this this new way of doing it is takes advantage can take in the future can take advantage of schnorr so there was not as good a reason to do this earlier because things like aggregating keys was not a was not really a practical thing I didn't with think, ECDSA. I didn't realize we're not talking about aggregating keys. Yet, no, but right? it, it basically means in the future we could, without a soft fork even, because what you can do is you can take a block and now now we evaluate the script and while we evaluate the script we have to evaluate every signature we have to check every individual signature, which is very slow. But with in the future what you could do is you could say well we're going to evaluate all the scripts. We're going to pretend that they're okay. And then at the end of the block, we're going to evaluate all the signatures in the block, or at least all the taproot signatures in the block, in one operation. And this would be faster than doing it as individual operations. So okay. by, by uh, enforcing this structure, now we are making it easier later to make the evaluation faster. Okay, so that sounds to me like there. that would... Be, that's a good reason to do it this way but even without that it would still it would still it's still better to do it this way right probably yes yeah yeah i mean yeah very probably is there a downside it just sounds like this is less work yeah well the downside is it's more i guess a bit more tedious to write the script but i don't know if that really matters okay the script might be bigger right but i guess there's no limit anyway to the script size so yeah, no, so this is better, yeah. But it may have not have been worth the risk of making a consensus mistake if the advantages are not big enough. And nobody really needs this, those really big multisig things. It's just that this happens to make it possible to make a 999 multisig. So the, which, which is now literally possible. Yeah, so uh, Mr. Burak did a demonstration. He made a 998 out of 999 multisig. Yeah. But as far as I know, he could have done a 999. 9 out of 1999 multisig 2. I'm not entirely sure. That's the transaction that crashed the BTCD nodes, which yes. we also made an episode about. Yes, two episodes even, because we talked about it in the second episode after that, about the second attack. Okay, but just hold on, because I don't think we've mentioned this explicitly. So, so with Taproot, the limit was removed entirely. Is that right? Yes, so op multisig, sorry, op check sig add has no limit itself this is the new multi-sig opcode yes and it has no intrinsically has no limit because all it does is it checks one signature and it adds a number to another number so it has no idea how many signatures there are so in that sense there can be a limit okay and there's also we're, we're, we're no more sig ops 
So this this block counter that we talked about, this SIGOPS counter, yeah, doesn't apply to Taproot. It still applies for SegWit and the old stuff, but it doesn't apply to Taproot. Okay. So this complexity so, that we just talked about is gone. So basically what you're saying is <laughs> that's that's really makes me think of the Katie Newman interview. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> basically so what, what you're, you're saying, saying is Bitcoin yeah. is not really signatures, is it? <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, so basically what you're saying is Taproot completely changed how multisig works at all, right? Yes. It's a new opcode. There's no limits. All the old limits are gone. And we can even... Well, not all the old limits are gone. There's still a block size limit. But, uh, yeah, and but there's the, another limit. All the multisig... Oh, there's another limit? All the okay. limits we just What's talked the... about are gone. Okay, yes. I agree. Right. But there was another limit out there that we never ran into because our multisigs were very small because of these earlier limits. But now, if you try to make the multisig bigger and bigger and bigger, you run into another limit, which is called the stack size limit. And remember, the stack is a like a pile of plates, like a stack of plates. And when you want to spend a multisig, you put a signature on a plate or you put a zero on a plate for each placeholder, basically. So if you want to do a 99, 999 multisig, one of, one of 999 doesn't matter, you have to create a plate of 999 plates. And one of these plates or more have a signature on it and the others have zero on it. And there's a limit in the Bitcoin code that says if the stack is more than a thousand, the script is invalid. So what you're saying is Bitcoin is now in the restaurant business. Yes. <laughs> Got it. And, and and in case the listener is curious why the limit is 999 for the multisig and not 1000, it's because the stack can only be a thousand. And then you have to kind of look at what happens exactly when you're spending it under the hood. Essentially what you're doing is when you're spending it, you put all the signatures on the stack, right? So that's 999. But then the script has to also put the pub keys on the stack. Not all of them at once, but one by one. So when the script starts, it puts one pub key on the stack. Now your stack is 1,000 high. And then it goes down because it once it's verified the pub key and the signature, it removes the, both the pub key and the signature from the stack. So now you're down to 999, and then the next signature, you're down to 998, etc. Okay, that makes sense. But because sense. you have to put one public key on the stack, you that's why you, you hit the 1,000 limit. That that makes a lot of sense. What my what I do wonder, though, is why is there a limit of 1,000? You just explained why the limit is 999 for... Because I think, as far as I know, Satoshi put in the limit of 1,000, so it's, a, it's an old consensus rule. Oh, so that rule also existed already. And, of course, Taproot could have removed it, mm -hmm. but people felt no need to remove it. Thousands should be enough for yep. your, your average transaction. And this is also why the ordinals have a limit, because, or not, I forgot. Ordinals just have the block size limit as limit, as far as I know. The inscriptions is what I mean. The inscriptions, yeah, you might yeah. be right. Yeah, I'm I thought there was something about the, the 1,000 too, but maybe not. No, I think they, I mean, we've seen blocks of four megabytes, right? So that, that are basically just yeah, one inscription. That's true. Yeah. So anyway, this, this 1000 limit exists. So that's basically the, the naive way in Taproot to do multisig. Okay. So just to recap this real quick, Taproot basically just changed how multisig works in a technical way in that it uses a new opcode. It removed all the limits we've just mentioned. And the only limit, it just ran into a new limit that was also already there and that was capped of a thousand, which is the stack limit. Mm -hmm. Right? So that was a Taproot version of Miltisic. And keep in mind that with Taproot, you can have a tree of different scripts. So you you can probably make a much bigger Miltisic effectively by having, you know, by spreading all the keys over different parts of the tree. Yeah. Well, okay. But then, so how then do, you how might be ruling out certain combinations, right? So you might say, okay, there's 2000 keys in total. And you need one of the first thousand keys and you need one of the second thousand keys. And then both of these would be a separate tap leaf, a separate leaf. So if you want to spend using one of the thousand keys, you use pick one of the leaves that you have the key from. But well, so but that means you can another... actually make a one out of a million multisig if you want to. Because you can make a thousand leaves with each with a thousand keys, and when you're spending it, you pick one of the thousand leaves and then you produce one of the thousand keys. Well, nine hundred and ninety nine. 
Yep. Yeah, and also there. So there's another way of doing, for example, two out of three, which is you make three branches with two out of two with the different two out of yep the same exactly. three. Exactly, and and that could and, be and the and advantage that, could be that it gives better privacy because you would not reveal any key that you're not using. Is it also? It might also be more compact or not because you know it's the same. Yeah, like, it's also more compact because oh, it is? you're yeah because the individual scripts that you're using only have two keys in them. So the scripts are smaller. Yeah, but you only need to publish two signatures anyways, right? Yeah, but you also need to publish the original script. Right, yeah. And that's yeah, what so it is more compact then, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's another way of doing it in Taproot. So there's actually, Taproot opens possibility of doing multi-sig in multiple ways. Yes. And potentially, therefore, it's even more flexible. Interesting. And we haven't Move. even talked about the best way to do it. Let's talk about the best way to do it, George. What is the best way to do multi-sig? Well, the best way to do multisig in theory doesn't really exist yet, but it is by using the key span path of Taproot. So Taproot has two ways of spending. One is you provide a script, as we just described, similar to P2SH, and the other is you provide a key, a public key and its signature. Mm -hmm. Now, from the point of view of the blockchain, that is one public key and one signature. Mm -hmm. So it looks like a one of one, I guess. But under the hood, you can actually use key aggregation strategies to combine multiple public keys into one. Now you could already do this with before Taproot with signatures, but Schnorr makes it easier to do this and to make proof that it's secure. And one of the ways to do that is Music2 as an algorithm, which we have, well, we haven't talked about Music2, but we have talked about Taproot and sort of this phenomenon that you can aggregate keys before. Yes, yeah, episode two was about Taproot. Yeah. But still, let's recap it a little bit. So TLDR, there is a way. There, the, as far as the blockchain is concerned, it doesn't matter how you do it, what cryptographic trick you're using. As far as not losing your coins, you want to make sure that you use a cryptographic trick that is actually safe. Because from the consensus point of view, if the cryptographic trick was not safe, you could lose your coins either by theft or by making them unspendable. And Music2 is a paper by the blockchain folks, and there's even a bit for it now that is... A, this basically, it describes a procedure of how to make these keys, and they are n of n, so one of uh, two of two, or three of three, or four of four, and it describes exactly how each of the participants come together and construct a key, and then how the participants come together and sign a transaction in a way that's safe. Yeah. So basically, top Taproot. We we always call it Taproot, but I think the official name of the upgrade was Snore Taproot, right? Because the other big thing it did was add Snore, add Snore, Snore, another type of signature, and the sort of very simple way of explaining how this would work is you have several public keys and you create several, which also have several private keys, of course, and then you create several signatures. And you can essentially just mathematically add up the public keys and you get a new public key. And then you can also add up the different signatures that you created with the different private keys. And then the signatures also add up to a valid signature for that valid combined public key, right? That's, 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 that's exactly sort of, right. Yeah, so that's, that's why you can, for example, have three people, all three have their own public key. But then if they all three sign off to a transaction, then their combined signatures would match their combined public keys and therefore you can spend it. All the while on the blockchain itself, it looks like a very regular one out of one transaction. Yeah, and there's the caveat there is that if you do it in the naive way, which is just to add up the keys, which you can do from a mathematical point of view, then it's not safe, but we can get into that some other episode or never. Yeah, or maybe, is there a one-sentence explanation? Like why, I mean, why is if, it you, not safe? if you Google something like rogue key attack, so the idea is that I give you my key and then you give me your key. But if you're mean, then you could actually take my key and put a minus in front of it. And so you would use minus my key. And so if I add my key to your key, that's zero. Hmm. The, basically the effect of that. And that means you can steal the money. And of course you wouldn't okay. do it that way. You would probably add another key to it so that I wouldn't be able to see it. But it basically boils down to that if you can take the negative of my key you can steal my money. And that's prevented with some tricks to make sure you can't do that. Right. And that's a pretty decent one sentence explanation. That's not the only way you can get fucked, but that is definitely the most. <laughs> right. So music, it spells M-U-S-I-G in case anyone was wondering. 
it's short for multisig. That is available in Bitcoin now, right? People can do it if they want to, since Snore is I there. I think and if they have Snore. to, yeah, but they'd have to write their own wallet, basically. Or, or right, so it, it's available. I mean, we can't even know if people are using it exactly. because it would just look like one out of one. Precisely. But as far as you know, as far as I know, there's no wallet that's actually using it now. Nope. Okay, so it's conceptually I, possible. I think, though, that there are Lightning implementations that are using it or are almost ready to use it because one nice use case, because, because the music ritual, as we could call it, is a bit complicated for humans to do, but it's very easy for machines to do. So when two lightning nodes talk to each other, they, they create a two out of two multisig and they can use music for that. And it's relatively straightforward for lightning to add that. So that might already be happening or happening soon TM. Now the downside is it's N of N. And so there are other proposals out there that will let you do M of N. So two or three or et cetera, in the same way that looks like one signature. Those I think are a bit more experimental, but coming. Are they also are we still talking about music or would this no they a would not be called, they would have a new name okay but it's it, it's essentially using it's the same snore trick right in the end for the as far as the bitcoin chain is concerned it's just snore and in the future somebody can come up with completely different ways of doing this so that's that's the nice future proof aspect of this now you what, can combine what do you mean by completely new ways of doing this well some new algorithm so music 2 has a specific way of saying take your key then take the next key and do this hash on this key and do this hash on this other key and you can have a different way to do it as long as the end result is a Schnorr signature sure okay yeah and so the other thing to mention and then i think we've we've pointed out everything is that you can combine these two things so you can use in the op check sig add opcode you don't have to put a single signature in there. You can also put a Schnorr threshold signature or multisig in there. So you could have a trillion out of a trillion multi, of one out of trillion multisig, for example, right. where the way to spend it, I don't know, some sort of weird threshold signature inside a tap script. So, so you'd have, you'd need one out of a thousand keys in order to create a regular Schnorr signature that is then part of one of the leaves that is part of a million different leaves. Or sorry, that is one, so... Again, one out of a thousand signatures keys will allow you to produce a valid Schnorr signature that will look like a one of one. You put that inside the opcheckSig add in one of the leaves, which each have a thousand possible keys, and then there are a thousand leaves. So that is a one out of a billion multisig. Could we make a multisig that's big enough for all of humanity and sort of to protect us? Yeah, from, I mean, this would be a one out of a billion when they come. Well, okay. The well, what opposite, would be the best threshold for that? You think? Well, the opposite would be like a a four billion out of eight billion multisig. That'll so just be, majority. You think that's that's good? And so that would definitely require something like a music or probably a threshold signature because you can only have a thousand in each of the script leaves. So each of these one thousand keys will have to represent the majority of a million people or so mm -hmm. in order to get there. And the question is, can you make an algorithm that lets a million people combine their keys and signatures and produce a signature? I don't know if that's possible because a lot of these algorithms, they get exponentially slower. So as you add more participants, it doesn't take twice as long. If you add more participants, it might take four times as long. And, and so if you, maybe if you add a million well, participants, it gets you what, know, two to the times million harder or something. Yeah, but maybe not if it's a million out of a million, right? Then it just takes... Maybe that's easier, but it's still a question of... every. If you look at music, I, I don't know what the pattern there is, but my guess is, is that making a music from, say, two of two versus making a music of four of four is not twice as slow. It's like four times as slow or eight times as slow. So it grows exponentially or some other thing. Okay, so that's not... But you'd have to ask the Blockstream cryptographers. They probably can give you a chart that shows exactly... What happens when you do a million of them? Right. My guess is it'll get exponentially hard and it'll it'll break down. But somebody might come up with a way to do a... And you definitely don't want to do N of N with the whole planet. Because then if one person doesn't show up, which is pretty likely with a big population. Well, so that you, was, that you was want my, a threshold. That was my first question. Like, what do you think would be a good threshold if we want to protect ourselves from, you know... We want to protect our funds from Martians and with humanity. Like, what what threshold would you opt for? I don't know, because it depends on what the Martians are capable of doing. If they can just read all the private keys, then no threshold helps. 
So I don't know. Well, the well, the, the no, the problem is more that maybe some of us will be corrupted by the Martians. So we want to be careful that we, you know, if we let anyone spend the funds, then the Martians only have to corrupt that specific person. So that's probably not good. But well, how many how many humans would you trust not to be corrupted? It really depends on how the Martians operate. So yeah, I think uh, we've we've talked enough. So unless you have anything to add or summarize. No, have we discussed anything? Yeah, you think we've had everything. Then I'm good with this episode. Yours. Excellent. Well, then thank you for listening to Bitcoin. Explained. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. As 2023 begins, the broke issue stares head-on into the looming realities of a broken economy, a more broke central bank, and considers how Bitcoiners can share their knowledge, their projects, and their mentalities to remain strong economic nodes throughout the winter. As a global Bitcoin news medium with a mission to accelerate hyper-Bitcoinization, Bitcoin Magazine is for all Bitcoiners, the curious, convicted, and the maximalists. Inside Bitcoin Magazine, you will find exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, and powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Each issue will be shipped safely in a secure box mailer to protect the integrity of each copy. Print magazines, not money. Buy Bitcoin Magazine.